0: You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders.
1: Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31 clean his clock.
0: Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday.
1: Russell has time. Fires down the middle. Got his man Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again.
0: Powered by Seahawks.com.
1: Welcome to this week's edition of Seahawks Insiders. It's Jen Mueller alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com, and we are going to get you ready for the Seahawks matchup in the desert against the Arizona Cardinals because, John, it is a primetime game. It's a primetime week for us.
0: We like prime time. Seahawks do okay at night. We'll we'll talk about that later.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of things that favor the Seahawks, including their record right now, and I know that the team is never gonna say this because it is always a championship opportunity. But we can. But we can, and it's kind of fun to talk about and think about the Seahawks record right now and what Sunday's game means if it is a favorable outcome for the Hawks.
0: Yeah, I mean if they all of a sudden are five and one and you put Arizona in a three and four hole, that's that's a big gap you put between the team coming in the season looked like your chief rival for the division. Rams have looked at times like they're capable of contending too, but they've already got three losses as well. So, yeah, I mean, if, if we're, we're looking ahead, and again, we're allowed to do that because we don't have to play the game. If the Seahawks can get this win, they're going to be in great shape in the division.
1: And it's not just about the division standings, but if you consider the health of the team where the bye week came, which was perfect, we've already talked about that, but long-term what it would mean to have home field advantage or a home game in the playoffs. Oh, for sure. Or potentially a bye week. This kind of is a big linchpin in that.
0: For sure. And Pete, I mean, this is why when Pete Carroll, he's always said, you know, he doesn't talk about long-term goals of the Super Bowl or any of that kind of stuff. Because the way he sees it, there's too many variables in season. But he talks about owning your division. The, the example he always gives is from when he was with the Jets and the Bills in the AFC East in in that era of the Buffalo Bills and Marv Lewis and Marv Lewis, right? I'm getting that right. The coach of the Bills. Marv Le- Levy.
1: Marv Le- Levy, right? Yeah. It was Seriously. an L. We got I, it. I,
0: see, I knew I had it wrong. Marv Levy. And those those Marv Levy era Bills, you know, obviously they didn't win the Super Bowl. But the reason they went to four Super Bowls is they own their division. They got those home playoff games. And that's the most controllable thing that Pete Carroll says. So, again, if if you can get this one and put that separation between you and the division, it sets up really well for the end of the season.
1: And the numbers do favor the Seahawks in this matchup. Not only are the Hawks 15-3 and in primetime games since 2010, but they have also won the last three games in Arizona, which is kind of interesting when you consider that both Seattle and Arizona are two of the toughest teams to beat at home. It's been a little bit flipped in the series.
0: It's kind of weird because, yeah, I mean, you go back to the last three years. Last time the Seahawks lost there was Russell Wilson's first game. They obviously weren't the team back then that they are now, but since then they haven't just won in Arizona. They've been pretty dominant. They've won 100, outscored them 105 to 34 in those three games, including 71 to 12 the last two years. And um, oddly enough, Arizona's come up here and won two of the last three, so they've kind of returned the favor. So it's a little strange. You know, no one's gonna admit to if they know why that is, they're not gonna tell us. But for whatever reason, the Seahawks have played very well down there, and. That's a trend they'd love to keep going along with, as you mentioned, their primetime record.
1: I would like to give a tip of the hat to the 12s who travel to Arizona. They
0: do travel well.
1: They have traveled so well. And I got to tell you, for the fans who are planning to meet us in Arizona, it makes a huge difference when you walk in and you see more Seahawks fans than Cardinals fans. And it is so loud on the sidelines in favor of the Seahawks. It's crazy down there. And you'd be crazy to think that you're not impacting the game. So keep those numbers coming. As
0: Pete Carroll noted, there's something to be said. We can go look outside right now. There's something to be said for going to Arizona this time of year. So fans like that. And Arizona is a city with a lot of... People from all over the country there. So you've got some relocated 12s down there living there. So they they do. They get a really good turnout every
1: year. And when it comes to the 12s following the Seahawks and wanting to know where they are with injuries, well, I guess there's some good news all the way around, even though it might not be news you want to hear. For example, Luke Wilson underwent surgery on Monday, and that could have been a lot worse. John, rarely do I on the sidelines have an incident where the officials clear the field.
0: They did that twice. I've never heard an officiating crew do that. Yeah, they 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 cleared the the field. Yeah, back to the sidelines.
1: And usually you're looking at uh, a much longer time frame for getting a player off the field. It it usually indicates something more serious. I think probably the good news is when we heard about Luke's surgery.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously he had surgery, so it's not the best news possible. But the fact that they went in, Pete Carroll said they went in to scope it, saw way less damage than they were expecting, just cleaned it up a little bit. I mean, they're talking man of weeks, not months. And it goes back to, I mean, Luke Wilson has been one of the toughest, most durable guys. And he's had, I can think of off the top of my head, two high ankle sprains that I think he missed maybe a total of two games from. I mean, the guy is just... He, it's a combination he's a of he, he heals he he heals fast, but I think he's just got some of that hockey player toughness in him, being Canadian. Uh, you know, Daryl Bevel joked yesterday they call him Wolverine for the way he heals. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not ideal to be without him, but he's he's going to be back soon. And the the good thing with the timing of that is you're getting Nick Vanette back at just the time as you're losing another tight end. So most years, the Seahawks only have had three tight ends total anyway. So you still go into this game with three healthy tight ends.
1: Yeah, which will work uh, in the Seahawks' favor, as will getting CJ Proceis back. I talked to him today, and uh, he's really optimistic about being able to be on the field. He had been wearing a cast at practice, because remember he broke the bone in his wrist and his hand. Now he's just got this plastic kind of protective... um, shield over the top part of his hand, which allows him to actually use his hand to catch the ball. Which helps when you're the third down back. It does indeed, but he is super stoked, and that could open up so much more for this offense. Yeah,
0: and I mean, they're so excited about what, we we go back to when they draft him, they're so excited about what he can bring to the offense, is that third down back, who's a great pass catcher. I mean, it, it was a nice luxury to be able to go out and see Jay Spiller, that you didn't have to rush size back and have him play with a bad hand. But, I mean, he's he looks like just a really dynamic playmaker when he's healthy. And the good news there is he's been practicing this whole time. This isn't a guy who's coming back after being on the sideline for weeks. It's, you know, he's going to be in shape. He's going to be ready to go. They might, you know, ease him back in just because he hasn't had the game action. And with Spiller, you don't necessarily need to force the issue. But, they're really excited about getting him back. We talked about getting Vanette back. They got Jermaine Effedi back. You're, you're finally starting to see some of these rookies that going into the year, they're very excited about contributions from all these rookies.
1: On the defensive side, I talked to Cam Chancellor today, who is chomping at the bit to get back onto the field. But they want to be careful with him. It is a groin injury. It is the opposite groin that he has had problems with. And, you know, maybe all of that works together, right? One side's compensating for the other side that might not quite be as strong. Cam wants to get out there. I think it's smart to keep him off the field as much as possible and like I said, I said Cam, you could save some of those hits. He was like there's never <laughs> there's never a lack of hits. I I can no, handle it. They,
0: they don't think that way. Yeah, I mean, we'll see on him. Pete Carroll's been, you know, pretty pretty clear in his messaging this week that they're they're going to wait. They're going to decide, you know, he's He's a guy that obviously could play without practicing much. He knows the defense back and forth, and he could just jump in if he needs to without practicing. So we'll see. They they're, they haven't practiced yet. We'll see what his status is at the end of the week. But the good news is they feel really good with what they have in Kelsey McCray If they do need to go that route again, but it sounds like Cam Chancellor nothing long term. You know, maybe it's another week, maybe it's not. But they'll they'll get him back. And they do on the defensive side get Frank Clark back, which is a big addition. Where. You know, with those pass rushers, you, you take one guy out of the mix who's a big part of it, and it affects everybody in terms of the amount of snaps they have to play, and just the production. I mean, he's he's a guy with three sacks already this season.
1: Yeah, it was uh, Frank Clark comes back, and Michael Bennett isn't going to miss time after Which he is missed great the great news quarter. from what we right. saw. I mean,
0: it looked bad at the time. He gets his legs cut out, and his, his knee kind of hyperextends a little, and, I mean, that's, that's about as an important player on that defense as you could lose, and to get him back this week is huge.
1: And uh, – it is worth pointing out that the Seahawks finished that game with five linemen, basically in which is not ideal in any circumstance, particularly against the top rated offense in yeah. the n f l and yet they were still able to that fourth quarter was impressive, yeah, you know, the amount of yards, no points that were allowed, so if you think about where they are and the potential of where they could go when these pieces are healthy, I think it's pretty exciting for this stretch of games that uh, has some interesting matchups coming up. For sure. Including this one against the Cardinals. So, John, when you look at the Cardinals record, I don't know what to make of it. What do you make of the team? You know,
0: in a way, I think their record's pretty reflective of what we've seen this year. I mean, they're a very talented team. And as we've seen the last couple of weeks, when they're right, they can go out and beat teams pretty thoroughly. But, they haven't just been the consistent type of force we saw out of them last year. I I, I still think this is a very, very good team and the Seahawks seem to be catching them as they're getting going. So, you know, I I don't think despite a five hundred record, this is a team anyone's gonna take lightly or think is taking a step back from where they were last year. I mean, there's there's a ton of talent there in it seems like they're starting to get together after a rocky start.
1: But they do have different pieces on the offensive line yeah, due they're to missing injuries some guys. Suffered.
0: Both uh, guards are one's out and one's in question, so.
1: Right. And so I would think that that's a good spot for the Seahawks to take advantage. And yet I'm looking at the the stats from last week and the Cardinals had 171 rushing yards. Yeah. They didn't turn the ball over and they didn't allow a sack.
0: Yeah, I mean that's exactly. That looks like a matchup a team should be able to exploit. And they've, I mean, they've run. David Johnson's having. He leads the NFL in all-purpose yards. They, you know, they really got it going. And you mentioned no sacks. That's that's impressive pass protection missing your starting guard. So, yeah, I mean, as I was just saying, it seems like they're figuring it out, even missing some key pieces. And I think that it's going to be a real test for this defense again.
1: David Johnson, 111 yards, three touchdowns last week against the Jets. He leads the NFL with 833 yards from scrimmage and, and eight, eight touchdowns, touchdowns. Exactly. Yeah. How That's does he compare? Because last week we spent some time talking about the running backs from Atlanta and how they match up. How does he compare to them, or or just match up against the Hawks?
0: Yeah, I mean, different physically. He's a big dude. I mean, he's he's a big physical back. He moves well, also, but in terms of the test of a team that's going to be a committed to getting the run going and b they throw to their running back that's similar to what we saw last week that the the Falcons have been a good running team their running backs both are good pass catchers in particular Tev- Tevin Coleman yet the Seahawks as they've done all year they're great against the run they only allowed 50 rushing yards on 17 carries to those two running backs and only four receptions for 17 yards to two guys who catch the ball very well so it, it, that bodes well for the Seahawks. Again, you know, Dave Johnson's a great player. It's no disrespect to him. But I think, in general, this team is set up well that if a team's best weapon is a multi-purpose running back, that's a matchup the Seahawks like with their linebackers and their safeties and just that front four or the way they stop their run.
1: And he has six games this year with 100-plus yards from scrimmage. No, I'm sorry, six straight games. That was uh, over a couple of years. The last two games he's had uh, over 100 yards rushing. And I do think when you talk about the Seahawks set up to stop the run, they are well suited. And one of the names that has come up this week as being the unsung hero on the defensive line is Tony McDaniel. You don't get to talk to the big guy very much because he doesn't say a whole lot. He's so quiet when he talks.
0: He is. And Mike Bennett's music is blaring in the background, so it's even harder to talk to him.
1: But, you know, it was interesting when I was talking to Tony McDaniel, and I hadn't really thought of this until we were having the conversation, and, and he was even shy to kind of embrace that. But I said, you know, here's the deal, Tony. When Brandon Mebane left, I, I miss Mebane. You know, I miss him in the in the locker room. You miss him on the field, but you don't have a play that's made and say the Seahawks miss Brandon Mebane. And part of that is because Tony has stepped in and done such a nice job. And, yes. and those pieces on the D-line – what have you seen from him? You have a different angle in the game than I do.
0: Yeah, and you know, early on we were talking about Jaron Reed, who's also played very well. But it's really been both those guys, and to a degree also Ataba Rubin, because he's doing some different stuff than he did last year. But it's really kind of been a group effort filling that gap of losing a guy who was a, a rock for you in the middle of the defense for so long. But, I mean, yeah, Tony McDonald—that's that's a cool story. It's a guy it, – he didn't appear to be on their radar. I mean, he was out there for a while, free agent – and he happens to be going on vacation to Leavenworth, and his agent calls the Seahawks and says, Hey, can he have a workout while he's there? And a couple of weeks later, he's on the field for you and starting games and playing great. As you mentioned, Richard Sherman called him a, a quiet hero of this season. And it's, I mean, he was a big part of those two Super Bowl defenses, and just for, for money reasons, they weren't able to keep him around. It's, it's a reality. We all know with the salary cap, sometimes you got to let guys go that you like, and and the fact they were able to bring him back this late in the game has been great for the defense.
1: One of the things he told me today, and Michael Bennett said the same thing, kind of about that uh, that block and that hit that he took on Sunday. Offensive lines and teams are trying to change things up. K.J. Wright told us that last week. The the Seahawks are going to prepare for one thing that they see on film. The teams are going to switch it up. And Tony said, when you do that, you have got to just focus on the guy in front of you. And there are certain keys that you have. And you have to have the experience to know what part of yourself to trust on Mm -hmm. that. So I think part of that is he's not just a big dude. And it's not just that he's been with the Seahawks previously. But most of the guys getting extensive playing time on that line, Jaron Reed excluded, Frank Clark is still getting up there. You don't realize how good they are. Because they're able to make such small adjustments and not get overwhelmed by something new coming at them every week or every quarter in a game.
0: Yeah, and part of it, when you say you don't realize how good they are, there's probably no position in football that's less appreciated when they're doing their job right than an interior lineman who's a run stopper. An interior pass rusher, you notice, but the Brandon Mee what when Jaron Reed's out there on run defense, Ruben, I mean... Those guys can play a phenomenal game and not register a stat, but if yeah. they if they occupy those blockers, if they clear holes for linebackers, if they're doing their job and stopping the run, you, you may not notice it, but it's it's what he's been doing since he got here, and it's been really impressive.
1: Yeah, and the D line is going to have uh, their task stopping Johnson. And how about Larry Fitzgerald? It, it,
0: it's like the ageless. I wonder. know you asked that question. I asked Pete the that because I was like. I remember probably three, four years ago thinking he's a great player, but this has got to be near right. the end for him. And he's got to slowing about, down. Everyone thought, you know, Floyd is coming in; he's their new number one, and they're going to phase Fitzgerald out. He's their leading receiver now, and it, it's, he's an unbelievable player. And I think he's—I mean, even though he plays for a rival, I think even Seahawks players really like the guy just because he's—he's one of those guys that's just so likable and seems to play the game right, and you know, all the cliches you could say about a guy. He's—he's he's fun to watch.
1: He has recorded at least one reception in 185 consecutive games. That is tied with Terrell Owens for the fifth longest streak in NFL history. He will tie Heinz Ward this week should he catch a pass. I'm okay if he ties Heinz Ward. I'm okay if he catches a pass. Yeah. I do like watching I think Fitz it's play. a pretty safe bet he'll catch it's probably, a pass. As good as the
0: Seahawks' defense is, he'll probably get he'll one. He'll
1: probably get one. But you know what? It's a question as to whether Michael Floyd will, because you mentioned him. He came on fire, you know, what was it, a year or two ago, and he is getting less playing time now. Did score a touchdown on Monday, but he's kind of a question mark in how, um, and how that offense is going. So interesting to watch how he gets used, how many snaps he actually gets during the game. Let's switch gears and talk about the Seahawks' offense. And how about just thoughts overall as to where they are at this point in the season? Um, A
0: couple of things. I I think they're not quite where people wanted them to be, and that goes back to just how good they were at the end of last year. But when you look at the nature of this offense in past years of how they've started slowly and got it going – When you go by that bar, I think they're in really good shape because there's a lot of room for improvement still, but they're still playing well. The passing game's looking really good. The protection's great. They've given up 10 sacks through five games. It was 22 in five games last year, so it's night and day there. There's been a lot of focus this week on the running game, understandably. I mean, By their standards, when you just look at the numbers, they're way down. I think they're averaging 88.8 yards a game, which ranks 25th in the NFL. Um, But I think internally there's a little less concern than maybe – when you just look at those numbers. A lot of that has to do with Russell Wilson. He's a big part of the rushing game in his career. He's a guy that's you know not only rushed for a lot of yards and averaged a lot of yards per carry, but just the threat of him makes a big difference. And that hasn't been there with the injuries. I think he's getting back to where he was. And if, if he gets back to running, not a ton, but just you know those, those 20, 30 yards a game, that makes a big difference both in the numbers and just the effectiveness of it.
1: Well, twenty or thirty yards a game would be a tremendous improvement over what we're seeing. And and I don't—I shouldn't say improvement because I don't necessarily need him to run the ball more if the offense is going to be efficient passing. But he has run for just thirty-five yards this season, which doesn't sound like a lot for
0: him for most of his career.
1: It absolutely was. Last year he was averaging thirty-four point six yards a game, and in two thousand fourteen, it was fifty-three yards a game. So if you add that to the rest of that total that the running backs are getting you you're now in that 110-120 range which looks pretty average for a Seahawks yeah running attack yeah
0: and i i really don't think they feel they're that far off at the same they know they can be better i mean tom cable talked about this yesterday yes. it's been inconsistent is the biggest thing i mean heck they they gashed a huge hole for a 41-yard run against the 49ers on their first run i mean they they're capable of blocking well and we've seen it in spurts It's just they need the consistency there, and and if they get a little bit more of that consistency blocking and if Wilson becomes a little more of that running game, I I don't think it's going to be something we're talking about in November December that they can't run the ball.
1: Yeah, I I think that it's a good sign that they've done what they've done up to this point. He's also getting the ball out faster than he ever has in his career, and he's one of the most efficient passers right now in the NFL. So I think those are all good things, as is this. Fewest penalties committed by the Seahawks came last week. Three penalties for 30 yards. It's nice when you play a clean game and it you're helps, not especially moving on backwards. All, yeah.
0: Especially for the offense. When, when the offense has had a lot of their worst spurts of, you know, three and outs and going a quarter without moving the ball, if you go back and look at those, there's almost always some penalties involved, whether it's a first down hold or a – a hold that negates the big play, just things like that. So you get those out of the way where you're not going, you know, first and 15, second and 20. It makes all the difference in the world.
1: And my last point is just the way that the special teams kind of got off the schneid a little bit last week. We talked about the number of kickoff return yards, which just hadn't been there last week. Five returns for 109 yards, Tyler Lockett accounting for four of those returns, which was good to see him out there. It's good to see him picking up yards and, and Pete Carroll says that they've been okay, and they've yeah. got... Uh, there's room to grow, but to getting grow.
0: Tyler Lockett back to being Tyler Lockett will help. He's getting there. I'm not sure he's all the way back yet, but he's getting healthier to the point they let him return kicks, which he hadn't done the last two and a half games. So get getting him going will help. It's interesting, though, just kind of a, a sidebar off that Pete Carroll talked about. It's becoming a lot more attractive to take that touchback with those five extra yards, because you need a pretty good return now to get past the 25-yard line. So those yards you mentioned, I mean, those, those numbers sound good. At the same time, like that's pretty much getting back to the 25 on most of those. Right. So it's, but I think as we see a healthier Tyler Lockett, he's going to pop some of those. And maybe you don't always get the big yards, but if you go 22, 24, 25, and then boom, you're at midfield, then it's worth it.
1: Well, and especially if you look ahead in the Seahawks' schedule, right? If he starts picking up steam and he gets back to what he is, getting a short field and, and getting field position in your favor— That plays really well in some potential nasty games down the stretch, weather-wise, and all of that good stuff. So, well, that has been this week's edition of Seahawks Insiders with John Boyle and myself, Jen Mueller. John Boyle has you covered on Seahawks.com for everything leading up to Sunday night's game in the desert. And you can listen to myself, Warren Moon, and Steve Rabel on the call on the Seahawks Radio Network. And we will be back with you next week.